I want to take time today to talk to you kind of like I w we would have a staff meeting. I uh, was challenged um, a few weeks back that um, we talk a lot about mission and vision and, and purpose, why we do the things we do, and we tie all those things to purpose and mission and vision. And as we talk about this, we're going to do this because of uh, there's a sense of enthusiasm that rises up within us as, as staff and as uh, people that serve the church. And, uh, and Laura, who takes care of uh, stewarding our finances and things like that here in the church, she, uh, she, she says, well, they, everybody needs to hear this. And it's not just something that stays in a staff meeting. And, and so, I, but I didn't know how to preach it. So I was like, well, how do we do that? And, uh, well, we're going to try to do that today and just share with you purpose, mission, vision of church. You've heard our mission statement, and you can't say it enough. You've heard our vision statement. It cannot be said enough. But I want to engage you in such a way that you start to see yourself as ones that are to help us intentionally walk out our mission, walk out our vision, walk out our purpose as a church. You all are a part of that. It's not something that happens in a staff meeting and just they walk out mission, vision, purpose. God has put you here as individuals in this church for this church mission, for this church's vision, for this church's purpose, and you're all to help together, one body, walk it out in such a way that's God-honoring, that will change a community. Oh, and then I get challenged. How do we do it? Pastor Scott, years ago, gave me a book. I read through it, kind of. Have you ever read a book, but you're not really thinking about what you're reading? I think that's what happened with the book. I was reading it, but not really. I was thinking about, you know, what's for dinner and things like that as you're reading it. I'm sure you've been there. But as I was reading, so I pulled that book off the shelf years back, and, and um, it was called Simple Church. And, and it really started to speak to me. But let me back way up. About, uh, oh gosh, I don't even know, seven years ago or so, we moved back to Woodland in 2004, I think it was. Um, I've shared this before. We didn't move back to Woodland because of job. I love my family, but we didn't move back because of family. I know it's rude, but it's my sister making sure I understand. That's rude. Um, but, uh, but we moved back to Woodland because God brought us here. Um, my father-in-law always reminded me, we lived in Temecula, and he always says, man, the weather in Temecula is like the best in the United States, you know, that whole area down there. You know, we left that. We, we were in Reading. Yeah, the weather's not the best in the United States in Reading. We loved it there. But all along, there was this tugging and this drawing and this pulling of our heart that even when I'm in the midst of heated work, <laughs> I would still remember, oh, but our heart is in woodland. Now, it wasn't that our heart was always here, but God had to take us somewhere first and then bring us around and, and get us back to this place. But when we came back in 2004, we were going to a Bible study at, at one of our sister works and churches out in Natomas. Their pastors, Doug and Helga Berra, they, they um, would have this Bible study at their house, and, 
it really got us to go kind of to that place, that white space, where we were just focused on uh, his thoughts, to laying down our vain imaginations, focusing our thoughts upon you, Lord. I mean, that was the purpose and behind this, this, we'll call it a life group. It was a Bible study life group. And as we were focusing on that, God started to implant dreams and visions and, and really start to cast. This is, I mean, I'm stuttering because it was big. It was bigger than will fit into your understanding. Some of that is the issue with people believing in God. He's greater than understanding, and if I can't squeeze him into my understanding, then I have a hard time believing. It's the same thing for Christians and believers. When he casts vision and dreams, I was quickly looking in the book of Acts, you know, Peter had, had his idea of how his ministry should be, and then he kind of went into this trance, and a vision came over him, and it expanded what he saw really needed to happen for the kingdom of God. It was a new people that he could reach. And so what happens, though, is that God today, and this is what I want to encourage you in today, is open up your mind to the vision and dream that God has cast for this church, and it's beyond your understanding. Because it's in His will and in His time. It's His kingdom, not ours. So some of the dreams and the visions He started casting was that the needs of the entire community were met not by government agencies and, and social service organizations, but the, the, the needs of community were met by church and by its church people. That's how it was intended to be to begin with. And, and for us to swim against that, that current will be difficult. But look at the needs of the community that you live in. Look at the needs just on the street that you reside in. Those needs need to be met by the Lord. And for them to be met by the Lord, they need to be, be really gone after by the hands and feet of Jesus. And the hands and feet of Jesus are you and I. That's the needs of this community. And that's the only effective means by which the needs of this community will be met. So I say that and say, wow, but the needs are great. How, how can a church meet the needs of a community? Remember, though, it's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. And remember, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Well, what would that look like? Well, that would be uh, an organization or a church, we'll call it. A, a group of people that comes together on a regular basis daily throughout the week. And they, they, they take their talents and their resources and they, they multiply them by coming together. When you, when you try to do something on your own, you're only able to accomplish so much. But when you get two or three to bet together, it's not just addition. It becomes multiplication. You can get so much more done with two or three people. And when you're focused on a common cause, I think of social justice issues. You're able to really go after and conquer the needs of these social justice issues that exist. I think of uh, today in our city, believe it or not, there is slavery. 
It's going on in the city of Woodland. I was driving down the road, oh, probably a month or two ago. And I got up to a stop sign. I was kind of sitting there, and I noticed a, a truck pulling up behind me, and he kind of pulled off to the side a little bit by the curb. And the individual that got out of his car, I guarantee you, was not related to him. And as I saw that going on, I thought, no, this is Woodland. This is inappropriate. This should not be going on in my town. And then I was challenged, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? Well, I go to church every Sunday, so isn't that good enough? No, that is not good enough. Sunday morning service isn't going to help people that are being lost to slavery and that that honestly have completely lost hope in their life. We've had opportunities to, Dina and I, to counsel people at times. And, and really what we find is we do a lot of counseling with families. And what I find with families is that they don't know how to be a family. But they really do love each other. <laughs> we'll say all the time that, you know what the problem is? They love each other. And that's not really the problem. That's what's keeping them together. But they don't know how to love each other the way God loves the church. It says in Scripture that husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loves the church. So then when as we counsel them, we're, 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 finding, we're, we're trying to give advice and encouragement. These are real needs in our community. Who's going to meet the need? The church. We say don't go to church, but be the church. You're the church. Meet the need. Be the church. So God gives me this mission, or this vision, I should say. And the vision is, I, I almost envision a campus of sorts with that, that is audacious enough that the city can't see around it. The people can't avoid it. They have to. It's kind of like, I can't go around it. I can't go over it. I have to go through it. And what do I want them to go through? I want them to go through the church. A place where they will what? Our vision statement is this. Encountering His presence. Open up your bulletin. Do you have a bulletin this morning? Open up your bulletin. On the bottom of your bulletin is a phrase. Let's read that phrase together. It says, with me, Encountering His presence changing lives for eternity. That's why people need to encounter the church, you, as we be the church. Because as we be the church, they will encounter, remember the presence we felt today? They will encounter His presence. You cannot be in the presence of God and remain unchanged. That is an impossibility. I haven't been able to see it otherwise. So for me, that's a resolute truth. If I am in His presence, I will be changed. So when I dream, I dream big. And I don't believe these are my dreams. I was thinking about the song we sang. I, these aren't vain imaginations. Because my, a vain imagination for me would be me getting more and having more stuff. Or accomplishing much for myself. I guarantee you the vision and the dream that I believe the Lord has birthed within me and given to us as a church is not one that's going to be easily done. Physically, it's going to be hard. 
Some of us will not live to see it come to fruition. We may work very hard to see pieces of it come up to pass, but others may see it. Our children may see it come to fruition. But then there's the challenge. But God, we don't want to be a mega church. I don't know what I want to be. Because when you start saying, and I've heard this, and, and I think we had a, I was reminded by some of our staff people that, that they've heard this over and over again, that we'd be a church of 500 or 1,500 or thousands or whatever that would be, and they've heard it over and over again. And I look around today, and there's probably 70 of us here today. And, I, and, and, and then that becomes discouraging for me. And so I need to, take care of that discouragement by saying, yeah, we don't want to be that. Because it's easier to deny a truth when you're not living the truth by saying the truth isn't truth. But if the truth is, and I'm not talking about 500, I'm not talking about 1,000, I'm not talking about 1,500, I'm talking about need. So let's talk need. What is the need? Well, let's say we have 55,000 people in Woodland. Let's say today, generously, between those that are in church or say they go to church and those that maybe attend church in or outside of Woodland, let's say 5,000 of them. Let's be really generous and say 10,000 of them belong to a church. Let's say 5,000 more go to the Catholic church. My... Math says there's about 40,000 people unaccounted for. And who are these 40,000 people? They're people that are struggling in their families. They're people that are lost to homelessness or, or, or slavery. Or, or they're just living a good life, but there's no fulfillment in it. What about them? Who, who's going to minister to them? Who's going to help them understand what it's like to encounter his presence? What he's asked you to be that. So what are the pieces? What so I'm a I'm a I'm an individual that God has created special like you. And he's given me some talents. One of my gifts or talents, I guess, would be administration. I, I, I look at things and I see that things need structure and they need form. And, and, and so I want you to hear me clearly today. We as a church, I believe, will have structure and form. But here, let me, let me also help you understand that we as a church, our very DNA as a spirit-filled, charismatic church that loves Him and loves the gifts of the Spirit and loves encountering His presence, we will also have freedom. We will have form, we will have freedom, and they will be equally yoked together. They won't battle against one another, but they will be equally, equally yoked together. Too many times we, we, we struggle with that whole concept, and, and, and many of us would say, okay, I don't want to go, be going, that's good math, or English, it's not even math, it's English. I don't want to be going to a church that's all programmed. I've heard that. And I've kind of felt that. I want to go to a church that's just freedom. Well, I've kind of been through that too. 
and long-lasting results, maybe they're there, I don't know. But for me, it doesn't settle with me. But then I, I read in a, in a kind of a textbook on praise and worship and talked about form and freedom, and God spoke to me. He says, Doug, that's the balance that I've always been encouraging you in. My wife and I, when we moved away in 98, was it 98, we uh, started attending a, a church up north, and, and um, man, the, they're doing a work that's phenomenal. And uh, we, we encountered freedom of worship, and, and, and we got to see signs and wonders that were amazing. But then there was this constant stirring within me, an unsettled, an unsettled spirit within me, whatever that might have been. And I think it was really me kicking against the goads or, you know, being stubborn. And so we would try different churches, and we'd bounce around, and, and I didn't have my mom calling me every Sunday saying, I didn't see you in church. So there'd be some Sundays we would miss church, right? Accountability kind of way, waned a little bit. And, and so, and then I was faced with, uh, Doug, you're an adult, and not only an adult, you're, you're the husband of, of your wife and the father of a household, and you need to lead them. So then I would start taking us back to church, and we'd try different churches, and we'd see different things, and none of them felt right. None of them felt like New Testament church. And I thought, well, what is it, God? What is the difference? And, and it kept ringing true to me is it's balance, it's balance, it's balance, it's balance. It's, it's Scripture and the Word. We, we went to one church, and the pastor, the preaching was just awesome, and I'm like, oh, teaching, this was great, I loved the teaching. Um, my wife, got, we got in the car, and it was like, wow, I really enjoyed the teaching. She said, we're not going back there again. <laughs> and I was, but it's, but it's kind of close to home, and I really enjoyed the, and, but we couldn't feel the Spirit. And she's very spiritually astute. I mean, she, she could see that the Spirit wasn't felt. His presence wasn't experienced. Okay, okay, we're not going back there again, because I know who's in charge. Yes, God and the spiritually tuned one really listens to God. So we kept looking around. But what God was birthing within us that whole time was, Doug, I want to take form and freedom and make that a part of the ministry of the church that you lead in such a way that it's a sweet-smelling fragrance to Him. In Scripture, it says in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This fragrant offering is, is something that's excellent. It's, it's very structured. It has a lot of form to it. And, and let me explain that to you. When you have a talent and you give it to your employer, and they pay you for that talent, that's a good thing. But if you have a talent and you're also not offering that up to God, that's not a good thing because the employer did not give you that talent. He's paying you for that talent that God gave you. So if God gave it to you, what should you be doing with that talent? Offering it up as a fragrant offering to Him. Now, someone say, well, I kind of do that. Great. Are you doing it better than you do it for your employer? Because when I talk about form and I talk about structure, I also can't help but to think about excellence. 
And, and when we give our talent to the Lord, we ought to do it with excellence. Because he doesn't want just a, just a run-of-the-mill, everyday, uh, leftover offering. He wants the best offering you can give him. If you're going to lead a life group, let me encourage you in that. You're going to experience blessings abundant as you pour into the lives of people. But don't study five minutes beforehand and think this is going to be an excellent offering. And when you provide God with an excellent offering, the abundant blessing that he wants to provide with his presence being in the midst of your life group will be amazing. I, I, I speak from experience. I've told you the story. I can remember standing right here one Saturday night preaching, and, and I had given him my leftover time for the week to prepare for that message. And, and as I'm preaching the message, and thank the Holy Spirit for still uh, covering me that night, I, uh, I'm, I'm preaching, and as I'm preaching, I'm, I'm hearing voices almost in my head like, Doug, what are you saying right now? It doesn't even make sense. This is just stupid. You just need to shut up and sit down and la da 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 And this is all going on while I'm preaching. And it was hard. It was painful. It was ugly. But it's because I came and I said, I just want to live in freedom and I don't want the responsibility of delivering any form or structure or offering. Lord, I just want to show up and see you minister to me without providing you an offering. Well, then what that did was that left the open door for the enemy to come in and, and beat me up. I left that night feeling beat up. I had a resolve to never do that again. Your life is not your own. Your talents are not your own. You have a breath to breathe and a talent to give to formulate an offering that is so beautiful and so fragrant for the Lord that when you offer it up, His glory will be seen by many and by all. So we, as a church, in order for us to reach the unreached, the unchurched of our community, we have to be intentional about how we serve very intentional. And then it's taking form. And then, this is my favorite time, when we come to church on Sundays and we come with our form, we come with our offering. And we lay down our offering. It's the, it's the worship team, you know, preparing their, for the service and they're, they're trying to become excellent in their talent and, and, and relational in their rehearsal time and really coming together to offer up the talents the best they can. You come with your, with your voice and, you, and you're singing and praising the Lord. That's your offering. But as you lay your offering upon an altar, in the Old Testament, they laid their offering on the altar, and then what happened to that offering was that it was consumed. It was consumed. And then that's where freedom breaks out. God, I, I come today, and I, I have notes here. This is my offering. But if, God, you want to go another direction today, that's up to you. I'm going to submit to what you want. But I still have to come with an offering. I've shared this dream with several people individually over the years. And, and yes, I think they get excited too.
But sometimes we get excited to see the dream fulfilled now. And then we're reminded that his timing is still the perfect time. But when it's not fulfilled in the moment that you desire, that doesn't mean that you sit in the recliner with your remote until it's time. So here's what I like to do. I like to go home and say I'm hungry and then go sit in my recliner and wait for it to be done. My wife's saying, amen, brother, preach it. That's probably over today. Yeah, Wanda, that's... But, but what has to happen before I can eat? It has to be prepared. So... Church, we're now in a season of preparation. It's time to prepare. It's time to prepare to be the place that God has destined, has prophetically spoken over this church. Dan and Jan shared with me years ago that they had heard a word, and I'm very much summarizing it, but basically it was this, is prepare the house of the Lord for the harvest. And they've been working at preparing the house of the Lord or parts of the house of the Lord for the harvest. Today, it's time for us to prepare the house of the Lord for the harvest. I said 40,000 people. If a thousand showed up next Sunday, it would be complete, utter chaos. They would leave with a bad taste in their mouth, and the witness of the church would be ugly. Why? Because we're not prepared for the harvest. All summer long, we've, we've struggled some with our children's ministry, and, and it's been a struggle and almost like a purposeful one. I, I knew that we were ill-equipped to do any more than sometimes just babysit throughout the summer. And quite honestly to me, and I believe to God, babysitting our kids isn't what God called the church to do. God called our church, our church, New Testament church, to help our children encounter His presence so that their lives are changed for eternity. So if I can't, we can't do that this summer, then we're not going to do anything until we can get it right in the fall. So right now, we're in a time for our children's ministry of preparation. We're preparing for what we're going to do in the fall, so that way we're ready to receive the blessings that God's going to pour out. God will send people, but He'll send them as you're able to steward them. Church, it's time for us to prepare. And so today is my uh, rally cry. Let's rally and let's prepare for the harvest. What part are you going to play in it? Next week we talked about coming and signing up for dream teams. I was challenged uh, a week and a half ago by uh, Jason Squires. He was in a group. I enjoyed having him here for worship. But on Saturday, he spoke to us, and he talked about our church, and he says, what do you do at home when you invite company over? If you know you've got friends or family coming over to your house, what do you do? Clean the house. You prepare for them to come. What are we going to do to prepare for company to come? We have guests coming. What are we going to do to prepare for our guests? 
So next week, we talk about dream teams. Dream teams will be parking teams, host teams, uh, and then service teams. What, what do they look like? A parking team is going to be those that you see already. They're out there. And, and, and right now, our parking lot's not full. But that's not to dismay us or discourage us. That's to say that's our opportunity. And, and so when the parking lot is full, how do we make sure that they're, they're not frustrated before they walk in to a place where they're going to encounter His presence? Better yet, let's not just facilitate them parking, but let while they're parking, helping them encounter His presence. When, when they're coming down the street and they see someone smiling and waving, that's when church begins. And when they get here, they're, they're welcomed and they're greeted and, and they're given the information needed so that they feel like, wow, I, I feel like I'm important. I remember years ago uh, when we were living in Reading, my parents came up to visit and we went out to dinner that night and, and it was comical nearly because uh, I don't know if she was just really thirsty or what, but my mom was drinking a lot of water. And every time she sat down her glass... It, two seconds later, it was full again. And that just kept going on and kept going. The, the, the service we had in the restaurant that night was incredible. And so, guess what? We would go back. Why? Because the service was incredible. When people would come visit us in Reading, guess where we took them to dinner? Where the service is incredible. Why? Because I felt important there. I felt like, wow, this is... And what was great, we didn't have to worry about our service. We could just focus on each other. Some of this sounds very practical. It's not, maybe it is preachy, but, but I really want you to start thinking. We're preparing for the guests that are going to come. And they're not just guests. <laughs> they're broken people. I, my heart is this. I am sick and tired of playing church. Oh, I'm just so done with it. I don't want to pretend anymore. There's people that are going to die and never know the love of God. And I know it. I know His love. My wife and I were buying a mattress a couple weeks ago. The jury's still out if we're going to keep it, but it's just not as comfortable as we hoped. But anyhow, as we're in there, we're visiting, and, and, I, and I get... I get kind of an easy out because I have that title pastor, and so I'm able to, you know, small talk with the salesman, and we're talking about what do I do, and I'm a pastor, and then, oh, well, what church? And I love it when they say what church, because then I can start talking about this church, our church. And as we're talking, we got, got to find out that he's kind of been in church, and now he's got a girlfriend, and they have a child, and, and she's never really been to church, and, and so he, he was asking, well, you could tell he wants to come to church here. And guess what? I want him to. But listen to me. I want him to. Do you want him to? Because what, what we see in this is that they're far from God. They're not walking closely with him right now. She doesn't have a real understanding of church. She's unchurched, and they have a child together. Things aren't perfect in their life. And what needs to happen with them is a lot of work 
They need to encounter His presence. There's going to be a lot of change. Who loves change? I preached on change early in the year intentionally, but who loves change? I mean, you don't have to love it, but you're going to go through it if, it's, if you're going to be Christ-like. That's going to be a lot of work. They're going to need to come, encounter His presence. They're going to need to plug into a life group and be developed. They're going to need to have a relationship with you. So when they have problems, guess what? They'll call you. Who likes it when everybody calls you with their problems all the time? Well, it's like, well, I don't. Well, change it. Because that's, you are their solution. There's a community, community right out there that needs to be in here so that they can encounter His presence. And they're not going to get in here if we just patiently wait. We went yesterday, we were at Sunglass Hut. Back to school is expensive. But anyhow, I don't know why you need sunglasses for school. But nonetheless, we're in Sunglasses, Sunglass Hut, and we're talking to the lady, and I said, and it's, it was crazy busy at the Vacaville Outlets yesterday because every kid was there buying school clothes. But as we're there, I was saying, you guys been really busy today? And I was talking to the sales lady, and, and she says, actually, this is the busiest time is right now when you're here, of course. And, um, and so as we're there and talking with her, she says, but corporate says we're behind where we ought to be. So I was thinking, I thought, well, what are you supposed to do? Go out and she says, I guess we're supposed to go out and just, you know, manhandle people to get them to come in our store. So how, what are you going to do? What are you going to do here? I don't want to minimize God and say he's a, a product, but I know everything I've ever experienced by all the products that God's given me in my life have been life-changing and life-giving. So what are you going to do to help people come to understand all the things that God has for them? How are you going to get them here? Be the church there. So let me, let me uh, bring some structure here. Our mission as a church. So what happens when they come? Years ago, and I don't know when specifically, there was this mission statement given to us as a church. It's, it's been... Uh, wordsmithed a little bit since the original iteration of it, but this is our mission of the church today. And it's not a mission statement that is on our bulletin and looked at in a board meeting once a year. This mission statement is what we live intentionally. This is our form. This is our offering as a church. This is our process as a church. It says... Our mission is to discover the reality of God's love. If you go outside and you look at our sign out front, I don't know if it's on the sign. It's on our website. Maybe, Caleb, if you ever were able to get there. Um, Discover the reality of God's love. You'll see discover, develop, discover, develop, and demonstrate. Step one, when people come to our church, we want them to discover the reality of God's love. We want them to know that God loves them so much that they can't help but to feel it, to understand it, to embrace it. It, We want it to become their reality. Matthew 22 says, 
verse 37, and he said to him, you shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When they come, they shall feel loved as you want to be loved. Mission. Weekends. The weekend services. Our weekend event is one that should be one of discovery. When they come to church on Sundays, they should be able to, you should be able to, we all should be able to discover the reality of how much God loves us. There will be teaching in the Sunday messages, but it won't be depth that some that have been in church for most of your life would desire. Because that's not the intent for Sundays. The Sunday is for people to encounter His presence so that their lives are changed for eternity. Sundays is for them to discover the reality of how much God loves them. Sunday is, Sunday is that time, the weekend is that time when, I don't know if you've ever been there, but, but maybe you had a friend and you were saying you know, how much God has changed you and, and rearranged you and made you new and how great life is. And, and then it comes to that point where you have an opportunity to maybe invite them to church, but you're not that proud of your church. So you don't quite invite them. And maybe you would even say, they're not ready for church yet. Church, we need to be the place that everybody wants to be invited to and wants to invite people to. And what's that going to look like? Well, that's going to look like a bunch of us bringing the best offering we can bring every Sunday and offering it up as praise as we love one another as we want to be loved. So, discovering the reality of God's love, that's our weekend services. Develop personal relationship with Jesus Christ in this church. Point two. Develop personal relationship with Jesus Christ in this church. That is our life groups. That is our soon-to-be-coming. This will come probably after the... Well, not probably. It's due to be here after the first of the year. But this developing a personal relationship, this discipling of one another, this needs to be done in such a way that it's intimate in nature because some people learn differently than others. Some people have different needs than others. So for effective discipleship to happen, it really needs to happen in our life groups. It needs to happen in the, in the comfort of relationship. Because I can learn a lot and be cared for a little and have nothing to show for it in the future. Or I can learn a lot in the arms of people that care for me and I'll start to reflect that in the future. Think about your, your upbringing. I learned a lot in the classroom. But I don't act out today what I learned in the classroom. What I act out today is what I learned in the loving home of parents. I reflect more of who they are than I ever reflected of my teachers. Why? Because they cared for me intimately. That's why life groups are so important. That's where learning and development will happen. It'll happen in relationship. We've had life groups going on in this church for many, 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 many years. We started calling them life groups recently. One group that's been going on for very long time are, are the groups that the Corcorans have been leading. And I, and I see the, the relationships that are there and, 
and, and the growth in the lives of the people that have been tied to those groups, and it's been phenomenal, and it's been great, but that's one slice of the church. What about the other slices of the church that are being unmet? They're not all met, meant to be met through just their group. The needs of people and the discipleship needs of people need to be met by many groups. So our intentional form as a church is to develop personal relationship with Jesus Christ and His church through life groups. And after the first of the year, for those that are new, we'll, we'll have a grow track time where it's a four-week. It'll be a, a group that meets after church for an hour, hour and a half. It'll be kind of a membership, what we call covenant partnership time, uh, to understand basics about why we exist as a church, why you exist and why you breathe, and what God's really, uh, what kind of talents has God given you? How has he created you so you can serve? Serve, serve how? The last point is demonstrate our God-given purposes in life. It's time. It's time for us to demonstrate live out and do our God-given purposes in life. How do you know what your purpose is in life? It comes in spending time with the Lord. I, I don't know who I was talking to, but recently I was talking with an individual that needs to make some decisions. I can't remember when or where, but but I was just impressed over the fact that in order to make the best decision in life, you have to be equipped to do that. And you can't be equipped to make the best decision if you're not spending time with the equipper. You are going to make bad decisions. Do you want to make a whole bunch of them? Or do you want to make less than a whole bunch? In order to make less and less and less and less bad decisions, then equip yourself to make good decisions. And how do you equip yourself to make good decisions? Spend time with the equipper. Spend time in the Spirit. Spend time meditating on Scripture. Go to read Proverbs. Just read Scripture. Know His heart. Spend time with His people. The... Um, Next steps for you is, uh, oh, this is a big one, though. Oh, it's actually time. I've mentioned this many times. Years ago, I, I had such a cynical and ugly heart for people. And not that I'm a mean guy. I wasn't cursing at people. or, But I just, I, I, I didn't care. You know, I probably would have been better off if I was cursing at people than just not caring about people. We have, right now in America, a lot of hurting people. And I don't know that it's a right now thing, but there are a lot of hurting people out there. And then someone like me who knows the love of God, who's learned a lot about Him and His Word and His will and His heart, to withhold it from people because I don't care, that is just ugly. And there was a time... I don't know, we were living here so probably over the last 10 years and I just, I didn't want to go to the fair, which is this week. So this is my promo for the fair. Go Thursday night and listen to our Libby, our Libby, uh, as she sings at Yolo Idol. 
worship songs, by the way, which is amazing. And that's so salt, light, world, great stuff. So, but we were getting ready to go to the fair, and I just didn't want to be around those people. I, what are those people? Well, for me, it was anybody at that point in time. I just didn't want to be around people. I didn't want to care for people. They get in my way. They're needy. They're, you know, I have expectations, and they're not meeting any of them. Am I the only one? I mean, I have expectations. And you all should know what they are and should live up to them. And I thought, God, that's wrong. Give me eyes to see them as you see them. And that's when he starts to mess with my math. We do not have enough church space in Woodland to absorb the need that exists. The need is great. An intense need. And there is a need to love them like they've never been loved before. To accept them like they've never been accepted before. I think about Jesus when He sailed across the the. The water, he got to the other side, and one of the first things that he was impacted with was this demon-possessed man. I'm sure it was, I'm sure he stunk. I'm sure it was an ugly sight. I'm sure it was, it was just probably madness and a mess. And, but he loved him. And he received him, and he set him free. Who are you to say that your expectations are greater than God's, and you should accept people in a different way than he did? Who am I? We ought to love them. Well, uh, just going to share quickly what God is dealing with me in this whole regard of loving people. You know, I can drive down Main Street, and when I see somebody walking down the street, immediately I can begin to judge that person. And God has been teaching me to say to myself, God loves that person and wants them to be saved. And so I've been going through this routine because I can be a very judgmental person. Maybe that's why Doug got it. Got it. <laughs> All right. But you're supposed to be in more moderation than your parents. So... <laughs> Anyhow, the other day, I drive it down Main Street, and maybe you've seen this young man also, but he's got these huge spikes in his hair. I mean, they're huge, standing up by like that. And immediately, my mind began to go there. But God reminded me, I love him just like that. And so when Doug is talking about Pastor Doug, is talking about people coming in the door. Think about it when you're driving down Main Street. Think about it wherever you are. Those people that you go to that place and judge, God would love to have in his kingdom. This last week, uh, there's a group in Yolo County that's of men that meets, and, and I'm sorry about the name of the group. 
but I belong to this group recently. I've joined it, been to two meetings, and it's kind of like a service-type group, and, uh, but it's called 100 Men Who Give a Damn About Yolo County. And I was asked if I'd want to be a part of it, and I said, sure, because I care about this community. And, and I don't think that this community should just be the lawyers and the real estate agent owners and, and the politicians, and I think they're all there for a reason, and that's great, but I also think the church should be part of the influence. In fact, I, I th- truly think the church should be the influence. Oh, it's 11 o'clock, but let me tell you something. God did not create the church to be an insignificant spot on a street corner. We're to be the significant place in a community. We are to be the influence of the community. Anyhow, I'm at this thing. Charlotte's here today. Charlotte works. Charlotte attends here and works at Fourth and Hope, so she happened to be there. I was there to represent Fourth and Hope that night, and I was sharing with them about our organization. It was very stressful. It was very odd. There's they invite three groups to come in. The men show up with $100, and whoever they like the speech the most, they vote for, and they get all the money. But it goes towards that nonprofit. And so it was stressful because I had to speak and, and, and compete. And if you don't know me yet, number one of my strengths is competition, and I'm very competitive. So, so anyhow, I spoke, but about halfway, th- I, I ran out of things. You're not going to believe me. I had eight minutes, and four minutes in, I was done. Amazing. It was a God moment. And, but then the Spirit stirs me up a little bit. And I talked about a community healing. And if our community is ever going to heal, it's going to take the entire community engaging in that process. An organization, Fourth and Hope, other organizations, and Power Yolo was there, aren't going to solve the needs of the community. But when community, church, comes together in a God-honoring fashion, then community begins to heal community. And I was encouraging them, whether they vote for us or vote for someone else, support the works of healing community. Church, that's the reason I believe that communities are hurting and struggling today is because I believe the enemy's at work. And the reason it's too prevalent today is because we haven't, they haven't, the church globally hasn't woken up enough. So today I want to stop, and for two and a half years I've told my wife this, I feel like I've been very critical of the church. What I've been critical of is church traditional, not church relevant. Church relevant is who we are and need to be. It's one that is, is evangelistic in discipleship, in nature. It's, it's loving and caring. Would you be standing, please, if you would stand with me?